Chapter Two, Part Two of Lady Molly of Scotland Yard by Baroness Orzy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Freewin Miniatures, Part Two. About an hour later, Mrs. Freewin came back, but without her son. It transpired afterwards that the young man was more vindictive than his father. He refused to go to the latter's bedside in order to be reconciled at the eleventh hour to a man who then had no longer either his wits or his physical senses about him. However, the dying man was spared the knowledge of his son's irreconcilable conduct, for, after a long and wearisome night, passed in a state of coma, he died at about six a.m. It was quite late the following afternoon when Mrs. Freewin suddenly recollected the case of miniatures, which should have been locked in their accustomed cabinet. She strolled leisurely into the library. She was very fatigued and worn out, with the long vigil and the sorrow and anxiety she had just gone through. A quarter of an hour later, John Chips found her in the same room, sitting dazed and almost fainting in an armchair. In response to the old butler's anxious query, she murmured, "'The miniatures, where are they?' Scared at the abruptness of the query, and at his mistress's changed tone of voice, Chips gazed quickly around him. "'You told me to put them on the table, ma'am,' he murmured, "'and I did so.' They certainly don't seem to be in the room now, he added, with a sudden feeling of terror. Run and ask one of the nurses at once if the case was taken up to Mr. Freewin's room during the night. Chips, needless to say, did not wait to be told twice. He was beginning to feel very anxious. He spoke to Kennet and also to the two nurses, and asked them if, by any chance, the miniatures were in the late master's room. To this Kennet and the nurses replied in the negative. The last they had seen of the miniatures was when Chips took them from the valet and followed his mistress downstairs with the case in his hands. The poor old butler was in despair, the cook was in hysterics, and consternation reigned throughout the house. The disappearance of the miniatures caused almost a greater excitement than the death of the master, who had been a dying man so long that he was almost a stranger to the servants at Blatchley. Mrs. Freewin was the first to recover her presence of mind. "'Send a motor at once to the police station at Brighton,' she said very calmly, as soon as she completely realized that the miniatures were nowhere to be found. "'It is my duty to see that this matter is thoroughly gone into at once.' Within half an hour of the discovery of the theft, Detective Inspector Hankin and Police Constable McLeod had both arrived from Brighton, having availed themselves of Mrs. Freewin's motor. They are shrewd men, both of them, and it did not take them many minutes before they had made up their minds how the robbery had taken place. By whom it was done was quite another matter, and would take some time and some ingenuity to find out. What Detective Inspector Hankin had gathered was this. While John Chip saw his mistress into the motor, the front door of the house had, of necessity, been left wide open. The motor then made a start, but after a few paces it stopped, and Mrs. Freewin put her head out of the window and shouted to Chip some instructions with regard to the nurse's evening collation, which, in view of Mr. Freewin's state, she feared might be forgotten. Chips, being an elderly man and a little deaf, did not hear her voice distinctly, so he ran up to the motor, and she repeated her instructions to him. In Inspector Hankin's mind there was no doubt that the thief, who must have been hanging about the shrubbery that evening, took that opportunity to sneak into the house, then to hide himself in a convenient spot, until he could find an opportunity for the robbery which he had in view. The butler declared that, when he returned, he saw nothing unusual. 
He had only been gone a little over a minute. He then fastened and bolted the front door, and according to his usual custom, he put up all the shutters of the ground-floor windows, including, of course, those in the library. He had no light with him when he did this accustomed round, for, of course, he knew his way well enough in the dark, and the electric chandelier in the hall gave him what light he wanted. While he was putting up the shutters, Chips was giving no particular thought to the miniatures, but strangely enough he seems to have thought of them about an hour later, when most of the servants had gone to bed, and he was waiting up for his mistress. He then, quite casually and almost absent-mindedly, when crossing the hall, turned the key of the library door, thus locking it from the outside. Of course, throughout all this we must remember that Blatchley House was not in its normal state that night, since its master was actually dying in a room on the floor above the library. The two nurses and Kennet, the valet, were all awake, and with him during the whole of that night. Kennet certainly was in and out of the room several times, having to run down and fetch various things required by the doctor or the nurses. In order to do this, he did not use the principal staircase, nor did he have to cross the hall, but as far as the upper landing and the secondary stairs were concerned, he certainly had not noticed anything unusual or suspicious. Whilst when Mrs. Freewin came home, she went straight up to the first floor, and certainly noticed nothing in any way to arouse her suspicions. But, of course, this meant very little, as she certainly must have been too upset and agitated to see anything. The servants were not apprised of the death of their master until after their breakfast. In the meanwhile, Emily, the housemaid, had been in, as usual, to do the library. She distinctly noticed, when she first went in, that none of the shutters were up, and that one of the windows was open. She thought at the time that someone must have been in the room before her, and meant to ask Chips about it, when the news of the master's death drove all thoughts of open windows from her mind. Strangely enough, when Hankin questioned her more closely about it, and she had had time to recollect everything more clearly, she made the extraordinary statement that she certainly had noticed that the door of the library was locked on the outside when she first went into the room, the key being in the lock. "'Then didn't it strike you as very funny?' asked Hankin, "'that the door was locked on the outside, and yet the shutters were unbarred and one of the windows was open?' "'Yes, I did seem to think of that,' replied Emily, with that pleasant vagueness peculiar to her class. "'But then the room did not look like burglars. It was quite tidy, just as it had been last night.' and burglars always seem to leave a great mess behind, else I should have noticed, she added, with offended dignity. But did you not see that the miniatures were not in their usual place? Oh, they often wasn't in the cabinet, as the master used to ask for them sometimes to be brought to his room. That was, of course, indisputable. It was clearly evident that the burglar had had plenty of chances to make good his escape. You see, the actual time when the miscreant must have sneaked into the room had now been narrowed down to about an hour and a half, between the time when Mrs. Freewin finally left in her motor, to about an hour later, when Chips turned the key in the door of the library, and thus undoubtedly locked the thief in. At what precise time of the night he effected his escape could not anyhow be ascertained. It must have been after Mrs. Freewin came back again, as Hankin held that she or her chauffeur would have noticed that one of the library windows was open. This opinion was not shared by Elliot from the yard, who helped in the investigation of this mysterious crime, as Mrs. Freewin was certainly very agitated and upset that evening, and her powers of perception would necessarily be blunted. As for the chauffeur, we all know that the strong headlights on a motor are so dazzling that nothing can be seen outside their blinding circle of light. 
Be that as it may, it remained doubtful when the thief made good his escape. It was easy enough to effect, and as there is a square of flagstones in front of the main door, and just below the library windows, the thief left not the slightest trace of footprints, whilst the drop from the window is less than eight feet. What was strange in the whole case, and struck Detective Hankin immediately, was the fact that the burglar, whoever he was, must have known a great deal about the house and its ways. He also must have had a definite purpose in his mind, not usually to be found in the brain of a common housebreaker. He must have meant to steal the miniatures and nothing else, since he made his way straight to the library, and having secured the booty, at once made good his escape, without trying to get any other article, which could more easily be disposed of than works of art. You may imagine, therefore, how delicate a task now confronted Inspector Hankin. You see, he had questioned everyone in the house, including Mr. Freewin's valet and nurses, and from them he casually heard of Mrs. Freewin's parting words to her dying husband, and of her mention of the scapegrace son, who was evidently in the immediate neighborhood, and whom she wished to come and see his father. Mrs. Freewin, closely questioned by the detective, admitted that her son was staying in Brighton, and that she saw him that very evening. "'Mr. Lionel Freewin is staying at the Metropole Hotel,' she said coldly, "'and he was dining with my sister, Lady Stein, last night. He was in the house at Sussex Square when I arrived in my motor,' she added hastily, guessing, perhaps, the unavowed suspicion which had arisen in Hankin's mind. "'And he was still there when I left. I drove home very fast, naturally, as my husband's condition was known to me to be quite hopeless.' and that he was not expected to live more than perhaps a few hours. We covered the seven miles between this house and that of my sister in less than a quarter of an hour. This statement of Mrs. Freewin's was, if you remember, fully confirmed both by her sister and her brother-in-law, Lady Stein and Sir Michael. There was no doubt that young Lionel Freewin was staying at the Hotel Metropole in Brighton, that he was that evening dining with the Steins at Sussex Square, when his mother arrived in her motor. Mrs. Freewin stayed about an hour, during which time she, presumably, tried to influence her son to go back to Blatchley with her, in order to see his dying father. Of course, what exactly happened at that family interview, none of the four people present was inclined to reveal. Against that, both Sir Michael and Lady Stein were prepared to swear that Mr. Lionel Freewin was in the house when his mother arrived, and that he did not leave them until long after she had driven away. There lay the hitch, you see, for already the public jumped to conclusions, and terribly prejudiced as it is in a case of this sort, it had made up its mind that Mr. Lionel Freewin, once more pressed for money, had stolen his father's precious miniatures in order to sell them in America for a high sum. Everyone's sympathy was dead against the young son, who refused to be reconciled to his father, although the latter was dying. According to one of the footmen in Lady Stein's employ, who had taken whiskies and sodas in while the interview between Mrs. Freewin and her son was taking place, Mr. Lionel had said very testily, "'It's all very well, mother, but that is sheer sentimentality. The governor threw me on my beam-ends, when a little kindness and help would have meant a different future to me. He chose to break my life because of some early peccadilloes, and I am not going to fawn round him and play the hypocrite, when he has no intention of altering his will and has cut me off with a shilling. He must be half imbecile by now.' and won't know me anyway. But with all this, and with public opinion so dead against him, it was quite impossible to bring the crime home to the young man. The burglar, whoever he was, 
must have sneaked into the library some time before Chips closed the door on the outside, since it was still so found by Emily the following morning. Thereupon the public, determined that Lionel Freewin should in some way be implicated in the theft, made up its mind that the doting mother, hearing of her son's woeful want of money, stole the miniatures herself that night and gave them to him. End of Part 2 of the Freewin Miniatures